Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, um, they've they've sort of been wiped off the books a little bit. Can you some a little bit wipe uh, the, the the law books? But for uh, a couple of two or three decades in the United States, uh, many states, certainly California among them, I'm sure your state too. I don't mean to leave you out. Uh, had what were called three strikes laws which meant that if, uh, let's use the term of art that's uh, popular among government officials these days because it's so damn grown up. Let's say uh, a bad guy uh, has two convictions for criminal activity. And um, he served his time. He did his crime. He he served his time, but he got out and he did it again. He did his crime, served his time. Now it's the third time. And even if it's a, a relatively minor offense, that third strike, so-called, would mean that he would uh, he or she, trying to be fair here, would uh, get a long, long sentence in the pokey for that third strike. Put away, you know, for a long, long time, like forever type long. As I say, um, American criminal law has sort of backed away from three strikes laws a little bit in the intervening time because uh, it just seemed unfair to put somebody away for 30 years for, you know, flicking a cigarette into the street, a lit cigarette, stuff like that. But there was never, ever a three strikes law for banks. And so we have this week the spectacle of longtime banking bad actor Wells Fargo once again getting its wrist very painfully slapped uh, Wells Fargo uh, Bank, I st- believe it's still headquartered in San Francisco. And congratulations, San Francisco. Got to be, got to be busting your buttons. Wells Fargo will pay five hundred seventy-five million dollars uh, to settle a lawsuit that was brought by attorneys general from all fifty states in the District of Columbia. Like everybody piled on, poor Wells Fargo. Uh, those attorneys general are investigating fake bank accounts that Wells Fargo opened without the knowledge of the customers in whose names those accounts were open, as well as a string of what the Associated Press calls, quote, other dodgy practices, unquote. So dodgy has entered the American official lexicon, thanks to the Associated Press. Under the agreement, the bank will also create teams to review and respond to customer complaints about its banking and sales practices you got to be forced by attorneys general to create teams to respond to customer complaints. Talk about being dragged into um, doing what we assume they're doing because they're in business, in business, and want to keep their customers. Well, the bank has been under a cloud since way back in 2015 when it acknowledged its employees had, under orders from management, opened millions of fake bank accounts for customers in order to meet sales goals. Oh, well, why didn't you say that in the first place? It's also said it sold auto insurance and other financial products to customers who didn't need them. How many strikes is that now? Wells Fargo already is under orders to pay more than $1.2 billion in penalties and facing stricter regulations. Ouch. Ouch the wrists. When uh, savings loan associations committed serial acts of uh, financial depredations in the late 1980s, they were shut down by the federal government. Don't get out of here. No bank in the wake of the 2008 meltdown has been um, told by the federal government to um, pack up, pack up its uh, criminal bags and go home. Quote, the agreement underscores our serious commitment to making things right in regard to past issues as we work to build a better bank, says the CEO of Wells Fargo. As he is not manacled, he apologized for the phony accounts and other practices during a congressional hearing last year. The company remains under pressure from the weight of all the scandals. It's planning to lay up off, uh, up, off the 10%, up to 10% of its workforce over the next three years. 
Guess which sweets? That's right, not the uh, C-suites. California will get more than a quarter of the settlement funds because of the number of Wells Fargo customers residing there. So congratulations to California, both for housing Wells Fargo and for making out like bandits. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are no three strikes laws for banks. Um, This week, speaking of financial stuff, capped off kind of a rotten December in the stock market, in case you were watching. Um, Big dip, not a big dipper, big dip, followed by a big rise late in the week, causing uh, people who opinionate and punditize about financial matters to revive uh, a lovely phrase. You know, Wall Street likes animal metaphors. Bull, you're bulls, you're bears. Uh, but they revived one this week that uh, was new to me in the wake of the 2008 mess, uh, speculating as to whether the big rise following the big fall in stock prices this week was a dead cat bounce. Hello, welcome to the show. Hard to shake free of our cares Couldn't buy my car on credit Baby was selling her shares Guys in suits were on my TV meeting Just to say they'd met Then just when it seemed the darkest Here comes the best news yet They were doing the dead cat bounce Just watching the big bulls pounce When only one day counts That's when you do the dead cat bounce. You know, two days later we were sliding right back into the hole. Red arrows pointing downward, warnings blacker than coal. Baby was pruning her Christmas list. eBay had my guitar. Sure didn't feel like dancing Till we heard this noise from afar They were doing the dead cat bounce Stocks rising obscene amounts Only in my dream account Could we do the dead cat bounce One day wonders and shooting stars Instant karma and mini bars Now it's here, now it's gone Only thing growing is my neighbor's lawn Scuffling for groceries, babies hooking for rent. The checks they say were in the mail, but the mail was never sent. You can bounce a dead cat forever, but it's only gonna go up once. Everybody's a genius, till everybody's a dunce. They were doing the dead cat bounce, sipping deep from fantasy spouts. They were buying hope by the ounce. Hey, we're doing the dead cat bounce. Let's all do the dead cat bounce. Sad reality, we'll all trounce. Even while the misery mounts, we'll be doing the dead cat, the dead cat, the dead cat bounce. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll have Tom come in and say that in a moment. Right, is it, Joe? Yeah, that's it. Now, news of the godly. For more than three decades, Cardinal B House, on the campus of Gonzaga University, served as a retirement repository for at least 20 Jesuit priests accused of sexual misconduct that predominantly took place in small isolated Alaska Native villages and on Indian reservations across the Northwest. You might even, you know, call them vulnerable populations. A, uh, an investigation by the Northwest News Network and the Center for Investigative Reporting has found 
a trove of internal Jesuit correspondence. That's got to be some good correspondence there. Uh, showing a long-standing pattern of Jesuit officials in the Oregon province. What is this? Death Valley days? An administrative area, actually, that included Washington, Oregon, Montana, Idaho, and Alaska, privately acknowledging issues of inappropriate sexual behavior, but not releasing that information to the public, thereby avoiding scandal and protecting the perpetrators from prosecution. Well, it's alliterative, if nothing else. When the abuse was discovered, the priests, guess what? Yeah, they were reassigned, sometimes to another native community. Once the abusive priests reached retirement age, the Jesuits moved them to Cardinal B House on the campus of Gonzaga University, a Catholic university, the alma mater of Bing Crosby. I said, oh, 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 no, it's not. <laughs> oh, you don't do that to me. No, no, no. Um, I'm going to say it one more time, and we'll see if it works. The alma mater of Bing Crosby. Do you hear what I hear? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So the university administration allowed them, these perpetrators, to comfortably spend the rest of their lives in relative peace and safety. Who could ask for more? The administration didn't respond to requests for an interview to answer whether the administration or student body were aware of the presence of known sexual offenders on the campus. It's uh, between the business school and the rectory. That's where, you, that's where you want those priests, isn't it? Nearer the rectory, probably. At least 20 Jesuit priests accused of sexual abuse were housed there. The last known abusive priest was moved out of the house a couple years ago. The uh, former leader of the Oregon province, get those wagon trains out there, said the Jesuit order is obligated to provide for priests in retirement. He says it's the only facility there where past offenders like a cardinal, no, sorry, like a, a priest by the name of Poole could be housed. Contained is his word, effectively while also receiving necessary medical care. This particular priest, uh, Father Poole, <laughs> Father Poole uh, stayed at the house from 2003 to 2016. If he had been allowed to live independently, without church oversight, he surely would have abused more people, even at his advanced, advanced age. He was in his 80s. That's according to Father John Whitney, the former leader of the province. The house, said Whitney, was a retirement community where he could be monitored. He uh, did not inform administrators of the university, Gonzaga, or police in Spokane about the history of that particular priest. After moving him in to the house in 2005, a police department spokesperson said they had not received any reports either from Gonzaga or the Jesuit order about allegations against any residents of the house. Non-abusing Jesuits also lived at the house, but there were specific safety plans for abusers that banned sexually abusive priests from commingling with students. Oh, well, that's a relief. The Oregon province, however, would not release copies of the plans. And, according to the, this report, the restrictions were not rigorously enforced. So they existed, they couldn't be seen, and they were not rigorously enforced. Safer? Feel safer now? In a deposition in one of the several lawsuits filed against him, Father Poole said he regularly went to the school library and basketball games while living at the house on the campus. He met with a female student alone in the living room of the house when she came to interview him for a report on abusive Knoll on Alaska. Student journalists and filmmakers in 2010 and 11 were also permitted to interview residents of the house, including... J now, ladies and gentlemen, this is in... I wish I made this name up. Department. Joseph Obersinner, who worked in native communities in Montana, Washington, and Idaho, accused of sexual misconduct against a minor. We love being right in the middle of campus, Obersinner, told the school student newspaper. It's a blessing to see the active energy and happiness of youth every day, unquote. Unquote. Father Obersinner. Not quite pedaling hug, but there you go. By the way, two Jesuit priests this week, in the wake of that report, resigned as vice presidents of Gonzaga University amid questions about their handling of sexual abuse allegations. The, uh, President 
Thane McCullough. Thane. Who names their kid Thane these days? I want to meet those parents. What were you thinking? Uh, Thane. We were thinking mainly Thane. Uh, made the announcement in, in a letter to students, faculty, and staff. One uh, of the priests, Reverend Frank Case, resigned after a news report revealed he recommended a pedophile priest for a job at a Tacoma hospital three decades ago. The Reverend Pat Lee, a former Jesuit provincial leader, resigned a day after uh, the diocese said the Jesuits had not informed the current bishop about accused priests living on the Gonzaga campus. They were already semi-retired from their vice president posts. How do you do that? Not in today. Call me tomorrow. No, not in tomorrow either. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Um, anybody who who uses the name Father Obersinner, you owe me. I'm just saying. I don't own it, but, you know, just saying. And uh, now moving swiftly to something we all own. Here it is. Wow. It keeps doing that. I'm going to make it stop if it's the last thing I do, and I think it will be. Now... News of the warm, won't you? You bad machine. Can I have a word with your mom? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. It's either me or the machine. Dateline Corvallis, Oregon. Tree rings. Put a ring in it. Tree rings tell the story of what's happening physiologically as fire suppression makes forests more dense and less tolerant of drought, pests, and wildfires. This is, uh, according to new research, this is uh, not the research being referred to recently by uh, President Trump. I was with the president of Finland and he said, we have uh, a much different, we're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. And when it is, it's a very small problem. R raking and doing things. Uh, no, this new research by scientists at Oregon State and Utah State University. What are these state universities? Why don't they privatize them? Uh, they studied a lot of mixed conifer forest in central Oregon. Many of the ponderosa pines in the study area dated back hundreds of years prior to, tw to 1910. That's a crucial year because that's when it became federal policy to put out wildfires, not to let them burn. No raking involved. Before 1910, frequent low-severity surface fires played a key role, according to Eureka Alert, in maintaining the forests of uh, the western United States. In the decades since, the fire deficits that resulted from federal policy, along with grazing, logging, and land use changes, have caused major structural shifts in older forests because shade-tolerant and fire-intolerant species have moved in. It's shade-tolerant because the, the forests are now more dense, because less stuff burned away during the fires that naturally occur in these forests. So don't. why would you build a house... Over the same period of time, concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere have not only been rising, but doing so at an increasing rate. They have an effect on leaf gas exchange, the processes through which trees obtain oxygen for respiration and carbon dioxide for photosynthesis. These trees are busy. They're standing still. They're, they're working. We've known for a long time that fire suppression has led to crowded forests, which means more competition for resources, says uh, a study co-author. We've known that because of that, trees are more prone to drought. There's less water reaching deep below ground and more trees pumping it out. Our research shows in a physiological way what happening, what's happening. We thought there would be signals in the annual tree rings, and there are. You didn't mention raking once. What are they teaching these kids these days? you got to ask, don't you? Really? Don't you think? But wait, there's more. There's more news of the warm. And it's right over here. A new study from Duke University and Fudan University in China. It's the first to estimate how much Chinese residential electricity consumption would increase due to climate change. Headline, a lot. We'll get China back. We'll raise, we'll raise the uh, greenhouse gas level 
and make them use more electricity. That'll teach them. By the end of the 21st century, each degree Celsius increase in global mean surface temperature, your GMST, would raise average Chinese residential electricity use by about 9%. Peak electricity use will rise 36% for every increased degree Celsius. By 2099, well, if only Zager and Evans were around to hear that, scientists estimate mean surface temperature will be 2.5 degrees Celsius hotter than today if consumption patterns remain similar to today. Then average residential electricity demand in China would rise by 18% at the low end, as much as 55% at the high end. But wait, they're burning coal to get electricity. Uh Uh-oh. The finding has important implications for energy grid planning. Even without climate change, average household electricity consumption in China will double by 2040 due to rising incomes. Well, let's not sell them soybeans. Oh, why not? The study appears in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So at least they're proceeding, in case you were wondering. Our findings contribute solid evidence supporting China's low-carbon policy. Well, they've, they've instituted one, but they're still burning coal like crazy. But, you know, they got a policy. By showing how important increasing demand from the residential sector will be, says the director of Center for Energy, Economics, and Strategy Studies. That's... The name is shorter in Chinese, at Fudan. Residential usage accounts for just one-fourth of the total electricity consumption in Shanghai. Researchers focused on homes because they're very responsive to temperature fluctuations. Turn that heat up. Why don't you turn that AC up? Because uh, commercial buildings, you know, they're automated. They don't care how you feel. During extreme heat days and extreme cold days, home usage increases more dramatically in response to temperatures than commercial or industrial usage and drives peak consumptions during these times. That, that is news of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. And you know what that is. I don't have to tell you. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. It's a fine line between faith and delusion. Confusion reigns. Nothing stays the same We constantly change Isn't it strange Why do we change And it's a fine line Between falling and flying Try out your fledgling wings First time you hit the ground You curse the whole damn thing But you'll get up again In time You know it's a fight So quietly 
Oh, so stupid and clever. From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Clean, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. But not that safe to, uh, to shut down and scrap. Not really at all. The state Japanese-backed Japan Atomic Energy Agency, located in Japan for obvious reasons, said this week it would need to spend about one, well, let's see, let's get it into American money, $17.1 billion to close 79 facilities over 70 years, its first such estimate. But But don't relax. Don't worry. The total cost could increase further, is according to the Mainichi newspaper in Japan. The agency said the estimated figure which would be shouldered by taxpayers. Who else? Who then? Excludes expenses for maintenance and replacing aging equipment. Get out your calculator. The uh, agency plans to close more than half of the 79 facilities over the uh, next 10 years. Not 70 years. So they're accelerating the closing, which should save them no money. Uh, Due in part to the increased cost to operate them under stricter safety rules, you see, introduced after the Fook thing. It costs more to operate it safely, turns out. Who would have thunk it? That's the problem right there. You could you could make nuclear energy much more economically rational if you just didn't operate it so safely. The uh, agency has led nuclear agency uh, energy research in Japan since the 1950s, owns a total of 89 facilities. The expense for closing the nation's first and I guess only spent fuel reprocessing plant that was supposed to reprocess plutonium uh, so it could be used in uh, again to power nuclear plants. It's just that it was plutonium, which is one of the most dangerous substances on the planet and could be used to make bombs if it ever, you know, escaped. Um, that accounts for the largest chunk of the closure costs. That's $7 billion just to close the spent fuel reprocessing plant. I'll say it's spent. It'll cost $1.4 billion to commission the trouble-plagued... Oh, no, sorry. The reprocess... Yeah, the pre- reprocessing plant is, is related to the trouble-plagued Manju prototype fast breeder nuclear reactor, which would use the plutonium that's reprocessed. So it'll cost $1.4 billion to shut that down. So the two those two projects which are related, that's just eight billion, eight, eight and a half billion right there. But as I say, costs will rise. The heart of the story, however, the nut graph, as they say in the uh, journalism business, comes way down at the end. And you know what it's about. It begins with these words. As for nuclear waste, the agency said about 100 kiloliters of high-level nuclear waste and up to 114,000 kiloliters of low-level radioactive waste are estimated to have been produced in Japan. The agency adds, it has yet to decide on disposal locations. Never too late, babe. But it is too late because there's no... So Japan hasn't figured out, where, as for nuclear waste, what to do with it. As for nuclear waste, eh, you know, it'll sit there till till wiser heads prevail. And another nuclear power, power project has been delayed as the, this is from Power Magazine. Who wouldn't want to read Power Magazine? As uh, the Fenovoima Consortium in Finland and Russia's state-run nuclear company Rosatom set a power plant projected startup date, the Hanhikivi nuclear power plant, number one, has been pushed back to 2028, four years behind the original schedule, eight years later than the proposed start when Finland's government originally supported the project in 2010. But, you know, if you delay it, it'll cost more. The announcement came after the group of Finnish industrial and energy companies that comprise Fenovoima warned more than a year ago of potential delays, in part due to the Russian company's problems with securing approval to begin construction from Finland's nuclear regulator. You following this? 
Nuclear power in European nations has been subject to stricter safety standards after the Fouke accident. Well, there's your delays right there. If you didn't, you could start the plant construction tomorrow if it wasn't for the safety standards. Come on now, people. New regulations include proof that core reactors can withstand direct impact from an aircraft. How would that ever happen? As recently as June, the uh, Finnish company, which is not finished, said the, it's a consortium actually, said the plant would be operational by 2024. It would be Finland's sixth nuclear power facility. Would be, because it isn't. The project joins another oft-delayed reactor in Finland, the Olkiluoto plant, built by a consortium of French and German companies, delayed by more than a decade. But, you know, a decade here, a decade there. That has prompted numerous lawsuits. Oh, come on, people. Reports have said the costs for that project are more than three times what was originally budgeted. Well, that's worth suing for. You got you to gotta admit. Uh, other nu- European nuclear plants, including Flamanville 3 in France, also have suffered from numerous construction delays and cost overruns. It's like a thing. The Cumbria project in the UK was recently scrapped. Japan's Toshiba, which was going to build it, said it couldn't find the buyer for the project. The finished project, it it just sounds better and better, doesn't it? Has been beset by problems. Most recently, Russia's struggle to meet the strict standards of the Finnish nuclear regulator, which has the probably appropriate acronym of STUK, S-T-U-K. They knew. That's considered among the world's most demanding nuclear regulators. The construction license would be granted by Finland's government, that's a conditional verb, but only after positive safety assessment from Stuck. Finnish safety regulations are the strictest in the world, and because of that, the design has taken longer than expected, said the chief executive of the Finnish coalition of companies. The project has been politically charged. The country's Green Party quit the government back in 2014, saying the project was being done as a part of Finlandization, a term that means the smaller country, in this case Finland, adopting policies to find favor with a larger neighbor, in this case, Russia. So it's called Finlandization, but it's really Russian kiss-assetization. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter. It is our friend, the Adam. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we now come to um, consider (laughs) the week for (laughs) President Trump. And um, what a week it is. Uh, he, you may recall, in an early, earlier in December meeting with uh, Chuck and Nancy, the Demo- Democratic leaders of the House and Senate, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, said flat out on videotape or video files that he would, he would be proud to uh, cause a government shutdown He wouldn't blame the Democrats. He would gladly take the mantle. I don't think he meant the mantle piece. I think he meant, I don't know what he meant. Anyway, that was then. This is now. He's blaming the Democrats. He didn't go to Mar-a-Lago for his uh, December vacation, and I'm sure he's really pleased about that. And uh, so he's been sitting alone in the White House tweeting until uh, his wife came to join him on a secret trip to Iraq. You know how well things are still going in Iraq when the president still has to take a secret trip because otherwise, you know, whatever. He tweeted and commented about that trip, by the way, quoting the president. When I heard what we had to go through, I mean, look, I had concerns for the institution of the presidency because not for myself personally. I had concerns for the first lady, I will tell you. But if you would have seen what we had to go through with the darkened plane, with all windows closed, with no lights on whatsoever, anywhere, pitch black, I'd never seen that. Been on many airplanes, all types and shapes and sizes. I've never seen anything like it. We're coming in, and I know all of the things that were surrounding us for safety. So did I have a concern? Yeah, I had a concern. But my bigger concern was maybe the people that were with me, certainly all of them, except maybe John Bolton. He's a pretty tough guy. He can handle it. Unquote. The president. So, yeah, we're still having to do that to have the president fly into Iraq. He, can't, he went to, uh, of course, be with the troops for all of three hours uh, at Christmas time. Um, 
and make a basically a political speech while he was there. Um, but Melania did come back to the White House with him, reportedly. Um, and there still is uh, this back and forth, the Democrats calling it the Trump shutdown, the Trump, the Trump calling it the Democrat shutdown. As uh, the shutdown proceeds, more parts of the federal government kind of grind down. Uh, the EPA seems to have uh, announced its doors for the moment will close, the Environmental Protection Agency, the administration. But I think the environment's good, right? Okay, good. Just wanted to check. Um, that was as a result of an order, I believe, that was issued by the Office of Management and Budget, headed by Mick Mulvaney, who's got um, a lot of hats that he's wearing right now. He is head of the Office of Management and Budget. He is the acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, an agency he dislikes. He has also been named by <laughs> President Trump to be uh, the president's acting chief of sca- staff, John Kelly Skedaddles, today. So that's a, that's a busy Mick, Mulvaney. The rest of Washington, of course, is uh, home. Congress left town, including Republican uh, Senate leader Mitch McConnell. So while the president says, I'm here in Washington to negotiate about the shutdown, He's left to uh, negotiate with with nobody, really. It's uh, it it needs dramatizing, I think. This week, for the first time, the prospect of a part of Congress controlled by the opposition party is seeming all too real. And to the businessman turned chief executive, that's the kind of reality he never wanted in his show. Mitch. Mr. President. You came up here during the holidays. Well, sir, uh, nothing really happening back in Kentucky right about now. Yeah. You think it's a picnic of roses over here? Milani wants to take the damn kid to the zoo. She blames me for closing it. <laughs> I thought uh, we had zeroed that place out years ago. <laughs> oh, well. So, Mitch, I hear from my friends at Fox and Friends. They had ticked off with me. Well, sir, all I said in that conversation that we leaked was that your decision to backtrack and not sign the bill we'd already passed made uh, my job just uh, just a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've forgotten who you're doing that job for. The people of Kentucky, the Koch brothers, not in that order. Ever hear of a guy named Trump? Happens to live here? Happens to be president? Happens to be me. Rings a bell, sir. Despite you, Mitch, I like you. You know, people always told me rednecks have no sense of humor, but you're almost sly. I like sly. All the New York guys are like extra sly with sly on top. <laughs> sir, I've decided I'm going to take that as a compliment. Now, okay, wait, Mitch. Enough with the chit-chat. Mm. I've heard a small talk, but I bet you midgets get to the point faster. <laughs> we gotta get this wall. And by we, I mean you. Mr. President, nobody hates to be the bearer of bad tidings more than me. Heck, I hate to be the bearer of any tidings, but we've missed our last best chance. What the hell are you talking about? I just gained two senators. And you just lost the house. Mitch. All that stuff you used to say to me about Paul Ryan, Mm -hmm. how you couldn't stand his whole I'm smarter than you thou attitude. Mm -hmm. Now you can say it in public. Paul's retiring. You can say it about Nancy Pelosi. Now you've got a real, like they say in the WWE, a real heel. Sir, all due respect and a little more in addition. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not going to get us one single brick, let alone a whole... Maybe it's not supposed to. Hmm? Ever think about that? Ever think it's a lot easier to blame somebody for us not getting the wall than to actually build it? You know the last time I actually built something? (laughs) I'm not sure When the concrete workers had real clout in the city is when. I can tell you that. So, Mitch... Your task for this week. Well, she she gets the gavel probably by Thursday afternoon. Okay. So they give her the gavel. You give her the, uh, I don't know, a sledgehammer is a lot bigger, right? Mm. Give her that. 
Like, do a very heavy number on it for about the next 10 months. Can you do it? Well, as, as you suggested, sir, it's, uh, it's easier than trying to pass a bill. Great. Melania. I flew with you to Iraq. Yeah. That was absolutely crazy with the darkened plane on the way into the airport. How was I supposed to check my makeup before we got off the plane? With radar? Look, 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 it was no picnic of roses for me either. You think I couldn't have used a few mirror minutes before all the selfies started, which, by the way, now I'm being blamed for because nobody told me those Navy SEALs are supposed to be anonymous? So, no more plane flights into war zones? At least until the weather's better? What my generals tell me is that when the weather's better, there's more fighting. But what do they know? Mm. Look, Melania, mm -hmm. so many people are telling me the Iraqi visit was a win, but an Afghanistan visit would be a big win. Without you, it's a, it's a no-win, believe me. I will go serve food to the homeless. Nah, it's over. Nobody does that again till next Christmas time. Well, I'll do one of the dozen so-called first lady duties I wouldn't do before. But... But the one I need you, you can't do before the witch hunt gets any worse. Just some beautiful photos of me with soldiers and seamen. Mm -hmm. And maybe even somebody from the new Space Force, if we can find them over there, which we should be able to do, of course. This task, which is so important to the team... I mean, you think I like flying 17 hours making a speech and then flying back on that spit can of a plane? You liked it during the campaign. Much nicer plane, but okay, I like it. But I need you to like it, too. Can you do that? Just this once? I should ask Baron if he minds me being... Don't ask him. He's an idiot. Ask me. I say yes. Should be good enough, right? It should... Make. Mr. President, we got the EPA to shut down just by sending them a department-wide stop work order. Great, great, great. But you got to shut down your consumer financial thing, too, right? <laughs> a little harder to send myself an order. Doesn't, doesn't smell right. You know what smells right? Uh, what's that, sir? You, as my acting chief of staff. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I mean, I'm personally hearing... No more, Mr. President, I'm afraid current law doesn't quite allow you to do that. I mean, for General Kelly was awfully light in the loafers when it came to trying to clamp down on my presidentialness, <laughs> like he was afraid of me yelling at him or something. I kind of like it when you yell, sir. Okay, well, you're running management and budget, mm -hmm. the consumer thing, mm -hmm. acting chief of staff, mm -hmm. already... I mean, I've already appointed an acting defense secretary, but... I'll bet two of Melania's gowns you could get confirmed as acting attorney general. Well, my former colleagues in the House, I, I think she'll remember me fondly, but, but the Senate... Ah, Mitch has got that place wired tighter than the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Huge figuring thing. Mm -hmm. But I really think the workload might uh, start to get a little bit too much, even for a workaholic like me. Mick, I can tell you this. My late brother was an alcoholic... Don't be any kind of holic around me. Also, uh, I don't think an acting cabinet member needs to be confirmed. Better yet. I'm getting tired of Whitaker. Mm -hmm. He's so bald. Looks like friggin' Kojak. Okay, we got a deal? I'll, uh, I'll get back to you by Monday. Okay. Before the Rose Bowl, for sure. That's the only one I watch. The others are like fake bowls. New team. New tasks, same mission. We're going to make Afghanistan great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week, it can't get weirder. And it does. In my eyes, indisposed in disguise. There's no one knows, hides the face, and lies the snake. The sun in my disgrace. Sporting a heat, the summer stench is the black. The sky looks dead, call my name. And through the cream, I'll hear you scream again. Black old sun, won't you come and wash away the rain? Black old sun, won't you come and wash away the rain? Black old sun, won't you come? Come. 
stuttering, a cold and damp, steal the warm with tired friends. Times are gone for honest men, and sometimes far too long for snakes in my shoes. A walking sleep in my youth, I pray to keep heaven send a hell away, 'cause no one sings like you no more. No. Black old sun, won't you come wash away the rain? Black old sun, won't you come? Won't you come on? Black old sun, won't you come wash away the rain? Black old sun, won't you come? Won't you come on? Oh, won't you? Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. A New York State senator apologized this week for what he called a poor choice of words, after sending a tweet to a legislative staffer urging her to kill herself. Democrat Kevin Parker's tweet to Republican Senate aide Candace Giove consisted of only two words: "Quote, kill yourself!" Exclamation point. And quote, it came after Jove took to Twitter to accuse Parker of misusing a Senate parking placard in Manhattan. Parker quickly detweeted the leet, excuse me, detweeted the leet, and later apologized in another message sent to her. He won re-election last month. I used a poor choice of words. He wrote, "Suicide is a serious thing and should not be made light of." Unquote. But. Misusing a parking permit, kind of a suspected malware attack prevent, prevented distribution of the Saturday edition of the Los Angeles Times. They still, I guess they do, to many subscribers. The Times said the issue was first detected Friday. Technology teams made significant progress in fixing the problem, but were unable to clear all systems before press time because your your presses need to be connected to the public internet. You see. Issues also affected distribution of the San Diego Union Tribune, as well as editions of the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, which are all printed at the L.A. Times Olympic Printing Plant in downtown Los Angeles. So it pays to centralize. We apologize to our customers for this inconvenience. Thank you for your patience and support as we respond to this ongoing matter," said the Times in a statement. Unclear whether the company has been in contact with law enforcement regarding the suspected attack. Another suspected attack. Later, in this apologies section, Golden State Warrior star Steph Curry apologized for his moon landing comments he made them earlier this week while talking with retired astronaut Scott Kelly. Curry、uh, wanted to raise awareness around the work NASA does. He hosted a 16-minute Instagram live video chat with Kelly. His original comments came when he said during an appearance on the Winging It podcast. That he didn't necessarily believe astronauts had landed on the moon. You see, 
Curry, though, told ESPN he was not being serious when he made those comments. He then apologized during his chat with Kelly, saying he is, quote, honestly, genuinely sorry of how that came across. It was important for me to understand, one, the magnitude of things that I say in my comments and how much weight they carry, no matter if I'm joking or not, but totally honor that in every situation I put myself in, unquote, Steph Curry. Slack, you know what Slack is? It's a uh, messaging app for people at work. I know it sounds like just a way of goofing off, but apparently they use it for work. Slack has issued a mea culpa for what some are calling discriminatory account bans made in an effort to comply with U.S. economic sanctions. Quote, we acknowledge we made several mistakes here, Slack wrote. I don't think Slack can write. I think somebody there wrote it. Our attempts to comply with these regulations were not well implemented. We did not treat our customers and other users with the respect they deserve, unquote. Some users had reported Slack had unceremoniously shut down their accounts with little to no communication because these users had traveled to countries under U.S. trade embargoes, your Cuba, your Iran, your North Korea, your Syria, your Crimea region. They could no longer use Slack. Slack says they made the change in an effort to comply with U.S. trade sanctions, but apparently was overzealous. Users who'd been to embargoed countries no more than one time were hit with account closures. There was widespread Twitter outrage. What is there not widespread Twitter outrage to? Sun came up this morning. There was widespread... I was trying to sleep. We made a number of mistakes and inadvertently deactivated a number of accounts that we shouldn't have, says the Slack post. We apologize to the people whose accounts we intended to disable. In order to comply with these regulations, we did not handle the communication well, and in both cases, we failed to live up to our own standards for courtesy and, check out this word, customer centricity, unquote, the Slack post. Uh, Now, some racially tinged apologies for your listening pleasure. Paul McCowns was just trying to cash his paycheck from a new job. Instead, he ended up handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser. He was uh, checking, cashing the check, just over $1,000, at the Huntington Bank, Bank branch inside a giant Eagle grocery store in Brooklyn. He provided two forms of ID and a fingerprint. This according to WKYC-TV. It's that standard for non-account holders to try to cash a check. And uh, when a teller could not reach his employer... She denied payment, waited for him to leave, and then called 911. He's trying to cash a check, and the check is fraudulent. She said, it does not match our records. Police soon met McCowns in his car, handcuffed and detained him, only to call his job and learned that the check was real. Next day, he cashed it at another branch. Huntington issued a statement to say they were very sorry. We sincerely apologize to Mr. McCowns for this extremely unfortunate event. We accept responsibility for contacting the police as well as our own interactions with him. Anyone who walks into a Huntington branch should feel welcomed. That did not occur in this instance, and we are very sorry. We hold ourselves accountable to the highest standard. Spokesman said they had 11 cases of fraud in recent months, and tellers were hypervigilant. Bank has tried several times to reach McCowns to apologize. They have not heard back. Well, they jail him for that. Following backlash from multiple artists, Lil Pump, a hip-hop artist, has has apologized for a video he posted last week containing a racial slur. In it, he previewed a new song that featured the lyrics, Smoking on dope, they call me Yao Ming because my eyes real low, ching chong. Following the reference to the Chinese basketball player Yao Ming, he made a derogatory gesture with his eyes. I seen the whole thing going on on the Internet and all that, Lil Pump said, I came here to tell you from my part that I'm sorry and I apologize for posting that. It was not my intentions to hurt nobody or do none of that, he continued. I got Asian homies, you know. I got nothing against nobody. It's all love. LeBron James, on the other hand, says he's sorry. He posted a lyric that referenced Jewish money. He said he simply got caught up in the music, thought the lyric was a compliment, and he offered apologies for sure. That lyric comes from a song by rapper 21 Savage. James shared it over the weekend on his Instagram account, which has 46 million followers. The rapper also tweeted his own apology. An Oregon hotel apologized after a black man was kicked out of the hotel. The Doubletree by Hilton. Jermaine Massey was the man. He accused the hotel of racially profiling him after a security guard called police to remove him from the lobby while he was talking on the phone to his mother. He was a registered guest in the hotel at the time. The security guard has been fired. We sincerely apologize to Mr. Massey for this 
his treatment this past weekend. Deeply regret the experience he endured. It was unacceptable and contrary to our values, beliefs, and how we seek to treat all people who visit our hotel. The hotel said uh, that the security guard had told Massey if he could not provide a room number, he'd be asked to leave. He did. He showed his uh, receipt for the uh, room number. Room. He posted on social media a video that showed part of the interaction with the guard. The uh, hotel t- reached out to Massey to try to reach a resolution, according to the general manager. I don't know if he was reachable. Maybe he was staying at the home of the other guy. No, he said through his attorneys he wasn't interested in a closed-door discussion. There you go. A pizza restaurant apologized to customers that a server called White Trash refunded the cost of their meal. Jets Pizza, pizza in Hamtramck, Michigan made amends with customer Jason Charbonneau and his co-workers who visited the restaurant and received a bill with the words trash, comma, white. They apologized. And um, the apparent drone invasion at Gatwick Airport in London may not have been what it seemed. And uh, Sussex police have apologized for that. Oh, and uh, Internet billionaire Reid Hoffman, he of the LinkedIn thing that you keep getting messages, if you're like me, to, hey, wouldn't you join my LinkedIn thing? He apologized for funding a group linked to a highly disturbing effort that spread disinformation during last year's Alabama special election for U.S. Senate, saying he was not aware his money was being used for that purpose. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show back next week whenever you want it or at the same time on radio and it'd be just like being able to make a phone call in the double tree lobby without being kicked out if you'd agree to join with me then would you already thank you very much Uh uh-huh tip of the show chapeau to the san diego pittsburgh chicago and hawaii desk thanks as always to pam halstead and to garrett Pittman here at wwno new orleans for help with today's broadcast the email address for this program playlist of the music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, not spouting outrage. That's how you can spot me, at the Harry Shearer. It outrages me that I'm not spouting outrage. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.